Well, good morning, Tabernacle. Welcome. Thank you for uh, choosing to join us on this glorious northern Michigan October weekend. The snow is coming, so don't get used to it. We are glad that you're here. Thanks especially to those who are uh, with us at our church campus in Manistee and those that are online. Uh, We're glad you've chosen to be uh, here with us. My nephew, Cody, and his wife, Nora, an awesome couple, love the Lord. They're part of this church. Um, They have two beautiful children, and their oldest is a five-year-old little blondie, uh, Ellie, super precocious. She's a force of nature. She's just fun to be around, right? She's one of those. And Cody and Nora uh, put Ellie in a soccer league this fall. And again, she's five years old, so soccer is more like herd ball. You know what I'm talking about? But the parents are doing their best. Coach is doing their best. She's having a great time. And on the last game of the year, Ellie accomplished what she really wanted to do. Ellie scored a goal. Yeah, and her team won the game. And, and she was pretty excited. And, of course, I know Cody was really excited. And if you know her mom, she was even more excited. Um, but... Uh, um, But afterwards, it was the end of the little kid's soccer season, and they do what all the little leagues do, and they start handing out medals. So Ellie got her medal, and she's excited about the medal, but Ellie noticed one of her friends on the other team also had a medal, and just to clarify, she asked her dad. She said, "Um, did such so-and-so get a medal? And he goes, yeah, he got a medal too. And it bothered her. She said, but he didn't win. See, they're raising her right. They're raising her right. Now, before culture can poison her, she knows that winning's kind of a big deal. And that that guy didn't win, but he got a medal. Now, before we fall into the trap of saying, that's the problem with kids these days, right? They go up in leagues where everybody gets a medal. Don't blame the kids, because it was our generation that decided to give them all medals. So we're all kind of caught up in that. But she hasn't been ruined yet. I'm sure there'll be a well-meaning person, and maybe you're even thinking right now, that look, it's not whether you win or lose, but it's how you play the game. Well, I want you to know that whoever said that never won anything. Because second place sucks. It does, right? Now, I know there's somebody that I'm offending you right now. Stick with me because I'm fired up today, okay? Winning's a big deal. There was the great Vince Lombardi that made it famous that winning's not everything. It's the only thing. But some of us, we grow complacent and we don't feel like winners. Maybe athletics is not your thing. But sometimes, you know, we fall into this trap of, of, of thinking that like even the Christian life, it's... Glory to glory, you know, and it's just, we just keep going. And I don't know about you, but I find it's like glory to, and then a little bit more glory, and you don't feel like a winner. Well, Paul in a passage today talks a lot about what winning is for us. Now, the greatest victory that you can win is to meet Jesus, to ask him into your life, to be transformed by the power of the gospel. Do you believe that? When we're saved by grace, through faith, not by our works and how good we are, but because he's great, we can be changed and everything about us can be changed. That's the big win. But there's more winning to do. 
And some of us, in my opinion, because I know this happens to me, we, we go through these winning and then pfft, phase. And we want to win. We don't feel like winners. How do we win? I'm glad you asked. By the way, the guy that said, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. I looked it up. He was a reporter. So there you have it. He was an observer. He was not in the race. He was not in the game. He was not in the ring. He's an observer. Many times that's what we start doing as Christians. We think, well, it's over, and now I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back or to die. Please, if that's what you want, find another church. Because you'll just be uncomfortable here. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're looking at uh, what Paul is is essentially telling us what he's decided to do with this freedom that he's found in Christ. And he's telling us what we're to be about, individually and as a church. And so here's God's word, starting in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is God's word. And I want to address something right up front, right in that last verse. So many verses in scripture get ripped out of context and misunderstood. I'll admit to you the first time as a child I heard that, I, I barely heard anything that Paul had to say out of fear for the last verse. I didn't want to be disqualified. And if we're not paying attention, we can think that he's talking about disqualified from heaven, disqualified from eternal life. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a different race. Again, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So I have to nerd out on you just for a minute and take you back to what God says to us in Romans. And it's the same author God is using, Paul. In talking about salvation, he says to God's people, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So did you catch that? He's not saying run in such a way that you're disqualified from heaven. Your salvation, if you are a Christian, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And you will be saved, not because of your faithfulness, but because he is faithful. Do you believe that, church? It's not how good I am. So let's not fall into what the culture says, that God saves good people. But if you're not a good people, you don't make it. No, that's humanism. That's humanism. This is different. My salvation depends on God and his goodness. So if someone says, well, you're not a very good Christian. Well, what is that? Christ is good. That's all I need. So we're not talking about being disqualified from that prize. He's implying that there's another race. And it's a race that you're called to, that I'm called to, that we are called to. They're individual races. And at the end, there is a reward. There is a price. The scripture seems to teach to us there's two prizes. The big prize is making it. But there's a second prize. People are always surprised. We talked about this on the podcast, that there's more than one judgment. Well, if I'm saved, why do I have to be judged a second time? Well, the first judgment is sheep and the goats. Matthew chapter 25. Those that make into to heaven, and, and there's a whole bunch of people at that judgment that are talking about all their good works. Oh, I did all these good things. And he, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. I want to be with the sheep. Anybody with me? But there's another judgment. It implies this in Revelation, where we're judged unto our works, or according to our works. And there's a reward, there's a crown of life that I get to throw at the feet of my master. That's the one Paul's talking about. And by way of an aside, is if you're not one of the sheep and you are one of the goats, I encourage you to become a sheep. It's kind of a big deal. So what is he talking about? He's talking about his freedom and he's talking about winning. Winning. And he's unapologetic about it. And I love that he's unapologetic about talking about winning. And what does he say? He's saying, this is my model, and I want you to follow it. You as an individual, you as a church. This is how you win. So if you were winning and now you kind of feel, here's a clue. How do you get out of that funk? How do you do it? He says the word win five different times in five verses. This is how you win. So if you're feeling, pay attention, pay attention. He starts by saying, listen, when I was with Jewish people, I hung out with Jewish people like a Jew. When I was with people that weren't under the law, the law of Moses, I didn't break God's law, but I hung out as one under, that was not under the law. To weak people, I became weak in order that I might win them. He says, I've become all things to all men so that by all means, I might save some. Now, when we talk about winning, and I can see it on some of your faces, I can't see you in Manistee, although some of you think I can. I can't, I don't have that power. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me like, winning, this doesn't sound very nice. Okay, Mr. Rogers ain't Jesus. (laughs) We're gonna talk about winning, because I'm here to win. I'm here to win. So is Paul. And God's word's for us, so we can learn how to win. Now, why do we feel that way about winning? Because when you relate winning to the church and winning lost people far from God to the gospel, there's always someone that's like, that sounds really imperialistic. And it reminds us when when some well-meaning and some not-so-well-meaning churches or nations tried to take the gospel and coerce people to believe. And they fought wars about it, and they got, you know, Spanish Inquisition about it, you know, and all... Sorry, that was the history teacher. You didn't pay attention in history? That's not what we're talking, that was never what Jesus was talking about. It's not about imperialism. 
It's not about going in and and imposing the American way. It's not nation building. It's people building. That's what it's about. And Paul's not saying it's about coercion. It's about persuasion. That's what he did. That's what we're called to be about, every single one of us. I don't care if you're a student, in college, out of college, never went to college, married, single, divorced, doesn't matter. It's not imperialism. It's not coercion. How do you force somebody to love God? You know, I know a lot of parents, you do your best to coerce your children to become Christians. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can't force somebody to love somebody. And it's most extreme. Force love is not love. Force love is rape. That's not how God is. But he's a gentle persuader. So when Paul says winning, he says that I might win more of them. That I might win those under the law. That I might win those outside the law. That I might win the weak. That by all means, I might save some. This is what winning is. This is how you win. This is how I win. This is how Paul wins. This is how the church wins. Winning is to invite people to Jesus. We invite people to Jesus. Now, I chose those words carefully. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can invite him there, though, right? You can show a team how to play the game, but they got to play the game on their own. You can teach, you can train, you can do whatever you want to do, but all you can do is invite. And there's many among us that want me to turn this church into force-feeding people stuff. You can't. All you can do is invite. That's what Jesus did. Do you know people came to Jesus and walked away sad because they didn't want to accept what he had? But I can invite. Invite people to Jesus. That's what he says. All things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now I have to say this. Don't don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. Paul knows and the implication. He knows he can't save anybody. So I'm not talking about some side of raging codependence where I think that I'm everybody's savior. No, I'm not. I can't save anybody and neither can you. Right? Come on, we're packed in here like sardines. Let's have a little action. We can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save. There's only one name under heaven and earth by which you can be saved, the name of Christ Jesus. So Paul knows he can't save them, but he's trying to win them. He's trying to persuade them so that they can be saved. Now, this is the cool thing. The way we invite people to Jesus. Some of us have fallen into this trap. It's not a winning trap, and it's why many of us, we thought we were winning, and is we say things, well-meaning things like, well, I invite people to Jesus by the way I live my life. Now that's important. That is important. The way you live your life does matter. But that's like, like a bird with one wing. It's not gonna fly right. In fact, it's not gonna fly at all. It's gonna flop around. And a lot of Christians and a lot of churches are flopping around by just, well, my lifestyle, the way I live, we're just a shining beacon on a hill. One wing is the way you live your life so that when you open your mouth, the other wing, so it makes sense and has context. Now, before you panic there, 
We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different personalities. There's different people that come into your life and my life. Some of you can barely remember two words we say on a weekend, but you just know that, man, God was there. There's good news. That second wing, not the way I live my life, but the way I invite people to Jesus, it has two parts to it, that second wing. One is go and tell. And some of you are great at going and telling. And some of you are better at come and see. Both matter and both count. They're both inviting people to Jesus. Do you see that? Come and see an invitation. Go and tell. They both work in the right context. But Paul's saying if you want to win the way he's winning is inviting people to Jesus. And, and, and this race that you're invited to, it's not a competition, really. Because it's not about me versus you, or you versus her, or us versus them, or this church versus that church. He says, it's for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. I think the reason many of us don't feel like we're winning is because we're not about the mission. I'm gonna tell you something right now. The best way to get out of the funk that you're in is to be about the mission. Stop losing. Get in the game. That's the secret sauce to discipleship. There's a lot of discipleship programs, and they're great. Guess what? They're all based on this. There's a lot of people that are like, well, that church and this church, blah, blah, blah. You know what it all comes down to? Inviting people to Jesus. And when God's people are about that, for many of us, that's the missing leg of the stool of our faith. We're in the... Because we've forgotten... Well, Paul said that it's for the sake of the gospel that I might share with these people its blessings. It's being on mission. Invite people to Jesus, that's winning. And then I love what he says is his method. I've always loved this method. If you look back, if you do have a Bible, he says, hey, I'm free, but I've made myself a servant so that I might win them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To people under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law to win those outside the law. To weak people, I became weak that I might win the weak. You know, all he's saying here is I'm following the model of Jesus. How did God determine to send Jesus on a mission, what did Jesus do? He emptied himself of all that royalty. He lowered himself. He humbled himself to become as a man and come and tell us the way, the truth, and life. Jesus became like the weak to win the weak. Do you believe that? That's his method. What Paul is saying Winning is invite people to Jesus, but that means that we meet people where they're at. We meet people where they're at. Now, one of the cool things about this is where someone is in their relationship to Christ, you never know exactly where they are. 
John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says these words. He says, no one can come to me unless my father in heaven draws him first. So what that means is God works to draw people to himself. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or don't care or know what those two things mean. That means that in order for someone to even come to Christ, to saving faith in Christ, God has to be drawing them. Now, I don't know who he's drawing and when. All I know is my job, your job, our job is to invite people to Jesus. Not just live the life, one winged bird, but to also go and tell and come and see. That's what we're supposed to do. And he's in charge of the drawing. I can preach the best sermon of my life, share the gospel clearly, answer all the questions, defeat the atheists and the humanists and the Buddhists and all the other ists. I can do all that stuff. If God ain't drawing, it ain't happening. And you've got the other factor of the human will in the human heart. That's why you can't cookie cutter Christians. But many of us have submitted ourselves to the cookie cutter of because we forgot our place in the mission. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's got to be a pastor. Please don't. We got enough of those. Not everybody's got to be a missionary. Not everybody's got to be in full-time Christian ministry. But all of us are in full-time ministry. Invite people to Jesus and meet them where they're at. He's saying, hey, use tactics so that you can meet people where they're at. There's always people in church that want me or want us to, to you know, make up the rules that say you have to look like me, talk like us, vote like us, spend like us, dress like us, act like us, and then you can be called a Christian. Not the plan. Our job is to win them to invite them to Jesus. He does the saving. He does the cleaning. You didn't even get that joke. Nobody fishes in here. I wonder how far we're willing to go to meet people where they're at. You know, from the very beginning, uh, uh, when Pastor Tim and I were kind of given stewardship of leadership of this church, we've done everything in our power to try to meet people where they're at. If, we got, if it's paint, it's going to be paint. If it's music, it's going to be music. If, if, if it's going to be knocking down a wall, we're going to knock down a wall. If it's doing away with things that don't work anymore, we're going to... But they're all just tactics. It's the same thing. Here's a little clue. There's people that come to our church, they try it out for the first time, and they're like, man, this is just cool. Our goal wasn't to be cool. Our goal was to use all the tactics that we can to camouflage the fact that every preacher, including myself, that stands here and preachers, we're just old-timey, old-school, Bible-thumping gospel preachers. That's all we do. We just yell at people, and people are like, yeah, you're right, and then lives change, and the gospel goes forth. But with the music and the coffee, it's like, but I feel good about it. That's all we're doing. We're just trying to meet people where they're at, and we're called individually to do the same thing. I can't meet the people that you know where they're at. You're called to meet them where they're at. I don't speak construction site anymore. I did for one summer, but not anymore. I, I, I just went to a funeral. I went down into civilization. I left the barbarian north. I left Narnia and went down to like where the city is. And I rolled up in my Jeep with its big tires and, and mud all over, over the side and the deer catcher or the deer carrier on the back and, and a crossbow and some camo in the back seat. And someone says, wow, you've just really uh, gone full redneck, huh? 
I was raised in the tropics in a city. You know why? You know why I first started to go sit in the cold covered in camo and deer urine to try to slay the great white deer? You know why? To win the rednecks. To be all things to all men. These are my people. I need to understand them. What's it like to sit in the woods and watch it wake up? I'm trying to fall or to follow Paul's example and better than that, Jesus' example. How far are you willing to go? How uncomfortable are you willing to be to invite people to Jesus and meet them where they're at? In Acts chapter 16, uh, which is a great history of the church and Paul's missionary journeys, I I think it was, uh, they they were going into a place where there were a lot of observant Jews. They were Jewish people that Paul wanted to go preach the gospel to. And he had people that traveled with him. And one of them was a young man named Pastor Tim. Not our Pastor Tim, although Tim is almost that old. It was Pastor Timothy, and he's a pastor in training. And what it tells us in Acts 16, don't miss this. Timothy's mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek. And even though he was a Christian and his mother was a Christian, because his father was a Greek, he was uncircumcised. And they're going to meet and, and, and to try to win those under the law Jewish people. Before they get there, Paul says to Timothy, and I can't even imagine this in a pastor's meeting. Hey, Timothy, we're going to be with a lot of Jews. So here's the deal. <clears throat> uh, you need to be circumcised. I'm not trying to be crass. Let that sink in. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. That's not apocrypha. That's in the real live Bible. And so Timothy, yep, you know, you're right. Like, what did that procedure look like in the first century? It wasn't like going up to Munson for a procedure. We're talking, get a really sharp knife and some liquor. (laughs) He's an adult man. I'm not trying to be offensive or crass, but think about that. How far was he willing to go? to meet people where they're at. And many of you have been through Merge. You've heard this story. You've heard us reference it before. Uh, This was 15 years. My wife will correct me later on exactly how many years, but we were not blessed with the plethora of talented musicians that we have now. And we were trying to use a tactic to meet people where they're at. And no, no more with the organ and the jangly piano that no one knew how to play. Bringing in the sheaves, dangle, dangle, dang. You know, I mean, we were trying to, hey, let's, let's move into at least the 20th century, let alone the 21st, right? And so we needed someone who could play the guitar. And apparently the best guitar player in Wexford County lives right here in Buckley, Michigan, a guy named Mike. They called him Salty. Some of you know him. And, and, and I'm not going to go into the whole story, but at our church, we talk about people being dominoes, that God's in charge of drawing people. We're in charge of being the come and see or go and tell. And what I mean by dominoes is imagine a chain of dominoes. I'm not, I'm not responsible to be the whole chain. I'm just responsible to be one link in that chain. And our people started believing it. And some of you do, but some of you have gotten bored of it. I haven't th- thought of a better metaphor. If you've got one, come and tell me and then, or we'll change pastors. But this is the metaphor. And we had all of these individuals that said, you know what, I'm going to be an intentional domino in this guy's life and introduced him to musicians and got him in the group and he didn't want to come to church. This went on almost a year of a bunch of different, ordinary, unschooled Christians trying to be a domino in this guy's life. And I'll never forget the Sunday 
he showed up because the worship leader came rolling up to me and he's like, oh, we got a problem. Hey, what's the problem? Before church even started, we have two services, the old people service and the young people service. And he's like, Mike's here. I'm like, great, music's not gonna suck. It's gonna be awesome. And he's like, yeah, but look, look, he's wearing a hat. We're gonna meet people where they're at. Bro, you're fine. You're fine. I'm not gonna be the hat police. You're fine. Fine, fine. Man, they're everywhere. That's fine. I'm not gonna be the hat police. So I said, to the, and the, the, the irony was, the guy telling me was wearing a hat. Like, you're wearing a hat. And then he said, look at his hat. So I looked over. Mike's got super long hair. Looks like the edge from Joshua Tree. He's got a hat on. It's like a trucker hat. And he's tuning up. And I looked closely. And in the back was black mesh. The front was white. And in big red letters, it said, I love bikinis. <laughs> they don't have a class on that in seminary. And this was in my head. We're going to meet people where they're at. He's not even a Christian. He's not leading worship, but he was going to play right there. I love bikinis right here. And, you know, fair play to our church. Phone started ringing on Monday. All these people in church, we don't even know where they're at. And we don't even know what they're doing. They're all wearing hats. They don't even wear, they take off their hat for the national anthem. And by the way, they don't wear belts anymore. So their pants are on the ground. They got their underwear hanging out. And it turned into this big deal. I'm so glad we didn't say anything because it was about six months later in a service, in a service, he made his declaration of faith in Jesus Christ by taking communion. He became a worship leader. We invite people to Jesus by being dominoes. My job, according to the Bible, is to train and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Paul's talking to us, not just the church. He's talking to you, the people at your school, the people at your job, the people you drink coffee with, the people that you work with, the people in your neighborhood, the people that you get together and complain about politics about. We invite them to Jesus. We meet them where they're at. And I wonder how far you're willing to go. Are you willing to have a surgery, an elective surgery like Timothy? Or to put aside your taste for a second about hats and bikinis. <laughs> See, Paul's trying to tell us to be about the mission. Verse 24, he says, Don't you know that in a race everyone runs, but only one receives the prize? He's not, or he can't be talking about eternal life. Because there's a lot of us who receive that prize. He's talking about the prize you're called to. That you're called to. The purpose, the plan, the divine appointments, the people that you know right now that no one has ever gone to tell or said, come and see. Never forget, saw that you can look this up on YouTube, this, this famous like magician comedy duo, Penn and Teller. You can look it up, it's, it's pen, the gift of a Bible. Don't do it now, that'd be awkward. Penn is an atheist, and he was doing a big show. 
And on his little video blog, he shares this thing where there's a bunch of people lined up for autographs and to talk to him. And this guy waited a really long time. He was a business guy. And, and the guy came up and the way he says it, the guy said some very nice words, very thoughtful words. It wasn't just flim flam. And then at the end, he, he gave him a Bible and he wrote in it a couple verses. And, and this guy, Penn, I'm, I'm paraphrasing as best I remember. He said, now, look, I think this guy knows I'm an atheist. That's why he gave me a Bible. And he says into the video blog, and look, there is no God. But he goes, that was a good guy. Because he sincerely believed it enough to tell me. And the reason I showed it in church years ago, he makes the case better than any preacher can. Because he's an atheist. And he said, if you sincerely believe that if you don't love and follow Jesus, you're going to hell. He goes, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them? And he goes, look, there is no God, but I respect that guy. Mic drop. Paul is saying, Penn is saying, make winning people your mission. If you're in a funk, make that your mission. Worst moments in my life are when I've lost sight of the mission and then I'm down here. You know what else I've noticed? When I make winning my mission, I don't have time for a lot of sinning. I'm gonna market that. I don't have a pen, so let me write that down. When I'm winning, ain't got time for sinning. There's a lot of us that we're just, like he says, we're running aimlessly. We're like a boxer beating the air. And it's like, why can I have victory? Why can I have life? Why can I get over this addiction? Why have I got all this problem? Because you're focused on her. You're focused on it. You're trying your best not to think about sin. You do, but you're not winning. For the love of Christ, get in the game. That's what it's about. For the love of Jesus, get in the ring. I've noticed that when you're in the ring and you're running, you ain't got time to throw rocks at the church. You're not disappointed about coffee. You're not disappointed about their programs because you're all about winning. And it looks different for different ones of us. And we don't know who he's drawn and when. He says, run that you may obtain it. See, that's when he turns it. It's not just, oh, this isn't just Paul's style. It's you. He goes, so run like that that you may obtain it. And then he says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching, I'm disqualified. He's talking about being disqualified from his race, from being disqualified from ministry. I used to read that, that I've got to be disciplined in self-control so I can make it to heaven. Yeah, you should probably not sin, but it depends on his faithfulness, not mine. I discipline my body. I'm self-controlled. I'm intentional. So I'm not like one of these jokers at the gym that's like, I don't know what this does, but I'm just doing it. (laughs) Anyone that's ever done an exercise program, you show up and if you've got some type of professional helping you through it, they always say, well, what's your goal? Are you training for a race? You training for a marathon? Are you training for an MMA fight? You know, our, I don't know where that came from. I'd never do that. But what are you training for? Well, I'd like to lose weight. How much? Well, I don't know. What are you calling it? I don't know the numbers. All of it, right? But they want you to have a goal. Many of us in the Christian life, we don't have a goal. Or we think that our goal is, is to somehow just 
live a happy, comfy life, make the right amount of money, the right of retirement. You know, my kids are going to screw up because nobody's perfect, but not that bad, not as bad as them. And we leave these self-contained, country club, complacent, crap lives. I said it. It's what we do. Secret sauce to the tabernacles, there's always been a hot core of people on fire. When the church almost died, there was still a hot core that was on fire. And they prayed and believed. And we go through seasons and there's always somebody, well, I don't know if all these people are being discipled right. I don't know. If, I don't know either, but I know this. I'm running. Are you running? Run with me. Don't be a man shadow boxing all day, getting a ring for once. All of this is to train us to be about that, inviting people to Jesus, meeting them where they're at, and we make winning people our mission. Make winning people our mission. Otherwise, you're training aimlessly. And he says there's a prize. Now, these people would have been familiar with the precursor to the Olympic Games. They would see people run and train and do all that kind of stuff. And they competed. Ellie would have hated this, I think, for a wreath a little set of leaves woven into a little crown. Well, those die and get crinkly and they're perishable. He says, apparently, if there's no wasted words in scripture, that there's some sort of eternal prize awaiting us if we run the race to win like this. Some of you still aren't convinced. So I quote Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last. And I believe part of the well done, good and faithful servant is for those who ran the race to win. Are you running the race to win? That's my question. How far are you willing to go? How uncomfortable are you willing to be to meet people where they're at? And yes, you're called to flap this wing and live a life that is attractive. It's not going to be perfect. And if your life's not perfect, don't you dare say to me, well, the people at work, the people at school, my friends, you know, they've seen how bad I am. I could never go and see or invite with the come and tell. I could never do that because of, you know, they see, they've heard me swear. They've heard me do bad stuff. And da, 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 da. They know my marriage is not perfect. Don't be dumb. You tell them, I know I'm not perfect, but I know the one who is perfect. The one who saved me, who loved me, who adopted me, who redeemed me, who's changed me. It's by grace through faith. Thank goodness it's not by works. Because all of us would lose, myself included. So yes, living your life, Christian life, that's important. But you know, the other wing is just as important. And I'm just here to say, fly, little birdie, fly. Make winning people your mission. I'm done yelling. I might have to check my blood, my blood pressure when I get home, honey. That little machine the doctor gave me. I'm going to invite the bands to come out. We're going to sing. Would you bow your heads and would you just let those questions wash over you as if hopefully God's spirit himself is asking, are you running to win? Or are you just kind of aimless right now? Just kind of going through the motions. God's word shows up at just the right time. This is how to be about it. I can invite you to invite people, but you don't have to do it. 
This can be your little country club, your little coffee clutch of like-minded people. Or with discipline and self-control and intentionality and risk and courage, we can meet people where they're at, make them our mission. And I promise you, you do that, your life will change. Your kids see you live that way, their lives will change. It's worked for me. God in heaven, would you help us to not say that this message is for someone else, to not say I would have said it different, to not say I've heard it before, to not say here he goes again. Would you convict us to be about your mission, the one you sacrificed and died for so that we could live? Would you help us individually as a church to make winning people what it's about? For the sake of the gospel, for Christ's sake, and in his name we pray, amen. So church, you wanna run to win? No, do you want to run to win? I'm here to win, are you here to win? Well, good, because if you ain't first, you're last.